I wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. Last week we had Kevin Barnes, so we got Kevin back. You know, we're, we're going to make mistakes. We got to learn from them. Things can happen so quickly when you're out there. I had a doe walk out probably 65, 70 yards from me. And I literally said out loud to myself, take your time. I'm like, this might be the only opportunity. I pulled the trigger and missed. You dummy. I told you to take your time. <laughs> have not learned how to harness that adrenaline rush when you see a deer walk out in front of you. I don't think I'd want to harness it. So I'll be sitting in the woods and and I'll see does 100 yards out and I see them I'm like oh tenderloin <laughs> you know <laughs> we got some fresh jerky coming in yeah. I'll get nervous and you call it buck fever doe fever I don't care what you call it it's I, I become a mess welcome to hunting day with Stephen Robbins now for your host Stephen Robbins all right guys and gals welcome back to another episode of hunting day and last week we had Kevin Barnes and Kevin and I met uh, through Facebook. Kevin had reached out to me and said that he was a fan of the show and really liked listening to it and wanted to know if he could come on and share his story. And part one was a great episode, I believe. And uh, that being said, so we got Kevin back and we ended where he was telling us how he started hunting took a couple decades off, got back into hunting, and some of the ways that he went about getting land to hunt, or permission to hunt, I think was very unique and um, very success-driven, and I think was very successful in that. But um, we're going to have Kevin back, and Kevin, go ahead and give everybody another introduction of yourself. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, Kevin Barnes, I live in Kentucky, I'm probably about 20 minutes outside of Louisville. Um, as mentioned, I you know started hunting a little bit back when I was in a teenager back in high school, back up in New Hampshire. Took about thirty years off um, right before COVID. Got back into it. Um, living in the beautiful state of Kentucky, I you know knew the prime opportunity to jump back out into the woods was right in front of me. I just needed to harness it and you know educate myself and learn how to hunt you know, a lot changed over 30 years and you know in the hunting industry from equipment to techniques to firearms to everything so um yeah I, I'm, I'm hooked man yeah so what would be one thing in that 30 years that you you would say has been the biggest difference as far as making you a more successful hunter is it equipment or is it a technique um i think it's using resources that are available to me um Every time I go out into the stand, just like probably everybody else, I, I have my cell phone on me and I'm lucky enough to have a Rolodex of hunters, if you would, if everybody knows what a Rolodex is nowadays, um, you know, in, in, in my cell phone, I, I'll text buddies back in New Hampshire, some buddies here in Kentucky that have been hunting basically their whole lives, you know, in tell them the situation that I'm in, you know, whether it's, I just, I just shot something. This is where I think it hit, you know, I watched them run 50 yards. What, what should I do? Um, you know, so continuing to educate myself by using people that I know that have hunted. Uh, I, like I mentioned on the last episode, I, I read a lot of magazines, um, to get tips and tricks out of there, just, um, watching shows and just kind of, just having conversations with people 
you know, and, and learning and learning. I, I videotape all of my hunts as well. At least I try to, um, which, which can be a challenge, especially as a fairly new hunter, you're trying to concentrate on, you know, your objective of harvesting the animal that you're after. But at the same time, being able to video my hunts teaches me a lot. I can go back and replay the footage and see, was my shot good? Was, was it a good placement? Um, did I let the animal walk out, you know, enough behind from behind a tree, behind a corn roll, corn row where I could have a good shot? Uh, just little things like that. I'm a firm believer that we make, God's blessed us with making mistakes so that we can learn from them. Um, so, you know, I, I try to learn from every mistake I make and God knows I've, I've made them and it, it's gut wrenching at times, but you know, it, it's what you're going to make out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes just, just going back and watching, um, the video of the impact, right. And then you're like, man, I should have let her take one more step forward. You know, her, her yeah. arm was, or her leg was tucked back a little further than I was, you know, thinking. And, and when you, you know, replay in your mind, it's always most of the time what you want it to be. Right. But when you replay the actual hunt, it's what it was. But um, so, yeah. So like when you actually watch the, the actual footage, there's no changing that. That's that is the how it happened and how it went down. And, you know, I've been a part of a lot of friends hunts post hunt and they tell you a lot of information and most of it to be true or most of it to be what they believe is true because they've. You know, they've replayed it so much in their head before you get there that they've made the situation more to their favor, more to their benefit. And not necessarily like and it's not that they're trying to be deceitful. That's just kind of the way that they've played it. And uh, actually, just uh, not long ago, I had a, a buddy shot. This is his first year bow hunting. He's a very experienced uh, uh, rifle hunter. But this is his first year bow hunting, and uh, he shot a deer, and he texts me a picture, and it's an arrow with about four, maybe five inches of blood on it. And he's like, I just shot a big one. And so I text him. I'm like, send me your coordinates. So he sends me the coordinates. I'm like, all right, it's going to take me this long to get there. Don't do anything. So I get over there. And I look at his arrow, and I'm like, man, I was hoping that this was some sort of like angle or optical illusion, but you've got about five inches of blood. That's including splatter. The steer's alive. And he's like, nah, everybody I've talked to says he's dead. And I'm like, man, I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm just trying to be real with you. I think this deer is alive. I said, how much blood is there? He's like, I didn't find any blood except for where I found the arrow 20 yards away. I said, so he kicked the arrow like within 20 yards. He's like, yeah. I'm like, man, you didn't even, you didn't, you didn't break the scapula. There's no way that you've went through the shoulder. And uh, he's like, you think? I'm like, my suggestion is we will walk to where you found the arrow. We will do, uh, you know, as best of a visual that we possibly can. But then from there, we only go as far as you want to go. I'm recommending we don't go any further, and uh, or you go and push this deer because if your shoulder shot, Kenzie told us you got to push them to kill them. If you shoulder shoot them. Now, if you hit them in the organs, there's a timeline that you got to wait. I said, but you either let this deer go or you push him and you hope that you can get another shot on him. I said, so you tell me what you want to do. 
and he's like i think i i don't think i hit him in the shoulder i think he's dead so i'm gonna give him overnight i'm like absolutely man you, this is your deer I, I don't want you know i don't want you to feel like you lose your deer because of me i said we will do whatever you want to do and so we backed out and obviously you know we send pictures to everybody and whatnot and everybody that i talked to was same saying the same thing but everybody he was talking to was telling him what he wanted to hear and so it ended up he didn't find the deer and it wasn't a i'm right you're wrong type of scenario because i wanted to believe that he made a good shot on this deer but i just knew the evidence said otherwise and he's a great shot with his bow and uh you know it's a 30 yard shot that roughly a 30 yard shot that he had made and it was probably one of the most adrenaline packed hunts he'd ever been on because he's sitting on the ground he had a doe come out and this big buck comes out and tries pushing this doe. She turns and walks away from him. The buck follows her, and he grunts at him and grunts at him and grunts at him, and he's not paying him one bit of attention. 20 minutes later, the doe pops back out and then is moving down the pipeline and walks right by him at 30 yards. So he's he gets ready, draws his bow. The like I forget what noise he said he made. The buck stops, and he shoots. And I was like, man, that – the, the only way it gets better is if there's a dead deer on the other end like yeah yeah and i told him i said look i've been bow hunting since i was 13 so coming up on 24 years i said as unfortunate as it is there's going to be more stories like this i said we do everything that we can to not make it a habit but Absolutely. it's just gonna happen man and oh man i felt i felt terrible for him because i've been there um and thankfully a shoulder shot isn't a fatal shot and i told him i said i've seen guys come back the next day and shoot the same deer almost on the same trail doing the same thing i said just don't give up knock another arrow and do it again and that's what he did he went back the next day and he hunted again and he didn't he didn't kill anything but at least he went and he didn't give up you know it's it's that continuous constantly you know just don't give up and uh it's yeah, a, that's you know that that's great. A couple things that you know I just took out of what you just said there is, you know, we're we're gonna make mistakes. We gotta learn from them, but things can happen so quickly um, when when you're out there. Um, I, I had a situation on one of my hunts where I had a doe walk out probably 65, 70 yards from me um, to my left, and the way that I was sitting in my ground blind, I was gonna have to turn almost completely to have a shot at her and i literally said out loud to myself take your time but after i said that she started walking away from me and as soon as she stopped and turned a little bit i'm like this might be the only opportunity i pulled the trigger and missed yeah you know and it's just like you dummy i told you to take your time <laughs> um and and you know and that's something i will learn from hopefully I won't make that mistake again, but I think I told you when I talked to you on the phone the other day, you know, growing up, I was a uh, big into playing baseball and I loved being that guy that was in the batter's box, last inning, two strikes, two outs, winning run on second base. And I never, ever had anxiety or anything like that. But I, like I said, I'm, I'm fairly new to hunting, but I think I've been fairly successful with 12 deer in three years but I have not learned how to harness that adrenaline rush when you see a deer walk out in front of you. I don't think I'd want to harness it. I like it's <laughs> so 
if I like, it's really weird, right? So I'll be sitting in the woods and I'll see does, right? And if I've already made it up in my mind that I'm going to let them walk, I can watch them like, sure. and like it's, I'm, I'm basically, I'm, I got the number one best seat in the house to God's beautiful nature show. Right. And I'm just enjoying it. But if I say like a hundred yards out and I see him, I'm like, Ooh, tenderloin you know (laughs) we got some fresh jerky coming in i'll get nervous and you call it buck fever doe fever i don't care what you call it it's i i become a mess and uh and it's you literally there are times where i just gotta close my eyes and i'm like just pretend like you're you're i don't know you're not here you know they're not there and um you gotta you gotta get it together and that's probably i don't want to say fun but it's you know it's uh it's different and uh yeah. but that's what i love about it and i guess i guess you could say that's fun that's what's fun about hunting is that emotion and i've always said if if that if that leaves me then i've i've lost it and i'm gonna go take up golf because i think um, <laughs> golf's not near as fun <laughs> but uh um i'm joking i i like to golf i just do it with shotguns and uh <laughs> um no, so, um, so I think if a, like you said, like take your time, and that's something that I'm so thankful for that I can do with Ava and Zoe, and Zoe's a lot like me because she will, she's missed. No, granted, Ava's missed too, but I mean, I, I I try to not hold them to such a standard like I would an adult. However, we are trying to take the life of an animal, so I do hold them to a very high standard. But because sure. I want them to be ethical in everything that we do, but uh, Ava, she will get nervous after she shoots, right? And she's nervous during part of it, but she will get nervous after she shoots. Zoe gets nervous before she shoots, and she's a lot like me in that regard. And um, yeah, so she's uh, it's. I guess it all depends on who you are and your personality, right? But yeah, man, no, just taking your time and misses happen. And I'd love for a clean miss over a type of wounded animal in any circumstance. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I like the fact that you video your hunts because. You know, I know a lot of people video their hunts for not the fame, not the, you know, everything about it. And, you know, earlier on in my, when I grew up, you know, I was a young man and me and April thought we were going to be rock stars, the next Lee and Tiffany. And we, we videoed our hunts and we had a really good time, but we, like, we weren't doing it for the right reasons. And so now we video but we have our kids and it's more about the memories right so they can go back like we share it on youtube but we it's all about family and what we do with it and so that's what i really like about you you do the same thing you've got a youtube channel and feel free to plug it here but like it's all about the whole like what can i do to be better and look at these memories that i've made yeah definitely definitely yeah, and um, I, I got two boys, nine and ten. Neither one of them are into hunting just now. I'm hoping, you know, one of these days that they, you know, they'll join me. And, um, you know, it's I, I keep that in mind, too, now when I'm looking at the equipment that I buy, um, you know, being a couple years into it. And that's, you know, another, probably another good tip for people starting to get back into hunting or picking it up for the first time. I bought a lot of my tree stands and stuff 
used. Yeah. Um, I started off um, with two climbers that I think I bought for $50 off of Facebook Marketplace. Um, and, you know, they, they served me well, but the one thing that concerned me with those being used, I didn't know the age of them, and I was worried that the cables, you know, may give out on me at some point. Um, so I, you know, I bought a few um, ladder stands. I, I think I got five or six ladder stands now up on the different properties. Um, most of them are used um, that I've, you know, bought off of Facebook Marketplace. But when, you know, if but if you're buying used equipment, don't just tell people that you're going to take it. Tell them that you want to come and look at it. Put your hands on it. Make sure it's durable. Make sure it's not rusted out and it's going to, you know, serve you and keep you safe. Um, it's I, I don't have any hang ons. Um, I'm 46 years old and I, I love the versatility of a hang on, but it worries me a little bit about getting out in the woods and, you know, getting them up and getting them secure. And that may just be because I've never really used them. Um, so I, I really like my ladder stands, although they're, you know, they're stationary. Um, but you can go out there and find nice used gear for, for fairly cheap. Um, so, so that's something that I recommend, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, you know, four or $500 to blow on a tree stand, especially once the season's over, get on Craigslist, get on Facebook Marketplace. You, you can find used tree stands for under $100, um, you know, and like I said, just make sure that they're good quality before, you you know, you, you go ahead and pay somebody for them. Absolutely. And something that I think we should also stress in this is always use some sort of uh, safety system, whether it be a muddy, a hunter safety system. You know, if you're, if you're climbing a tree, it's important that – you do everything in your capability, whether it's a U stand or a new stand, like there's danger in it. And so always be tethered or harnessed off in some way. I know like with my summit, if I'm climbing, I use my climber's rope. That way I'm always attached because I've got people that depend on me and I know you're the same way, right? So um, I definitely like, I, I don't condemn. I actually condone hunting from tree stands. I love it. And I think that if you can find one used and you can look at and give it a really good visual inspection, Go for it, man. I think that's a great idea, especially if you're just getting into hunting and trying to figure out the style of tree stands you want to hunt out of because there's so many now. I actually just started saddle hunting, and uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. It's it's worked out really good for spear hunting, but the whole trying to shoot a crossbow from a saddle, uh, I, I right. feel like my recurve is going to be great. Um, I haven't done that one yet, but the uh, the saddles definitely, I will always recommend a platform because I thought to myself, oh, I'll just stand on my top step or the top part of my ladder, you know, the, the, my, my, I guess you'd call it a step or a stick. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> no, don't do that because that makes the legs hurt. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's, well, you know, and. I think when you're looking at tree stands too, you gotta think about what you're gonna be hunting with as well. Um, like some of my single man uh, ladder stands, you know, it, it's just basically a foot platform and a and a seat. Um, there's no shooting rail or anything. And during gun season, my thirty odd six is heavy, man. Yeah. And when I'm and I'm up in a little tiny ladder stand or something like that, if I have 
if I don't have a rest, you know, or something to help me with aiming it, you know, you have, you can have a deer walk out and it's five minutes before you pull the trigger, if not longer sometimes. And if I'm in that ready position, those arms are shaky. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And that's something too. Like I love the climber because of that specific reason. I've got the rail around me. I've got support, but by the time, like, especially, you know, if you've got your climber that weighs about 20 pounds, You've got a, a hunting bag that has your camera gear in it. And if you don't have a big enough bag, you got to bring a second bag to actually have all of your hunting stuff in it. Yeah. And then you got to still carry a gun. And there's no easy way to carry a gun with a ladder stand, in my opinion, without making a bunch of noise. And so you've got to finagle and finesse all of this Absolutely. into that climber. And so that's one of the other reasons why I said, all right, I'm going to try saddle hunting this year because camera gear, hunting gear, I don't have to carry the tree stand. I technically am the tree stand. I'm wearing it in. No, I still got to carry my sticks in in a small platform, but that's way better than a 20-pound climber. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And hang-ons are good too, but like you said, there's really no rail around you, so you, you know, that's... I guess there's good and bad, right? You got stealth, but then you have stability. So you got to, like you said, you got to figure out the type of weapon that you're hunting with to determine how you're going to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I have a little mono monopod that, you know, I have a V on the top of that. I've, you know, kind of finagled a little bit, MacGyver rigged it so that I can, you know, kind of put it in the, um, the little spacers, you know, on the footrest and, you know, kind of use that in my single man stands, but it, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, but yeah, like you said, I, I carry a lot of gear into, you know, the woods with me. Um, you know, I, I always have a first aid kit in my backpack. I, you know, I got my, um, I got a, one of those wild game, um, it's not the ion separator, but, um, what, what the heck are they called? Um, the zero, the zero trace, Okay. Uh, first year with that, uh, I'm not sure if it works or not, but I, I put it up every hunt this year since I got it. The ozone, <laughs> like the, it generates ozone. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've heard really good things about it. I personally don't have one. However, I think I'm going to get one for my next spear hunting adventure because down in Texas, I had some does underneath of me. But every buck, whether it was a psycho buck, a fallow buck, or a um, axis buck, even a black buck, um, they would all get within like ten to twenty yards of me, and then it was just thermals was killing me. And I yeah. think that they were catching my wind, where the does weren't as nervous about it because they were under my tree feeding. But I just could not get any of those bucks to get within my spearing range i could have killed them with a bow all day long and that was great but i took a lot of tips that tim wells gave me on the last time that he was here and uh, i had my hole and i had my window for dropping the spear underneath of me and there was multiple times i could have done that on a doe but those bucks just weren't there so i think maybe the ozone is the way to go i I don't know i've got buddies who have them and they swear by them so i think i need to jump on that train <laughs> it, it gets expensive quick i can remember when i first got back into it three years ago my wife said you told me once you buy a couple of things it's going to be a fairly inexpensive sport i'm like 
babe, if I didn't tell you that, I wouldn't be hunting right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that right there, that is the best piece of advice that you could give any of our listeners. It was that line right there. That was perfect. That was perfect. Oh, I love it. But, but you just mentioned thermals. You know, that's something being new to hunting, people really need to, you know, understand you know, is wind and wind directions. Um, use the apps out there, you know, hunt stand, Ozon, Ozonics, you know, you don't have to pay for the memberships. Um, just go out there and like, I use hunt stand a lot. And before I go out every day, I get on there and I look at the windage. And even because I plan on going out and hunting that day, if the wind's not right, I'm not going. Because the last thing I want to do is burn out a stand. And if you don't think that that's, that happens it it absolutely 100 percent does um so definitely play your wins that's the biggest thing that i would give a new hunter advice on is you know don't don't go hunt just because you got the time make sure the conditions are right for that stand um don't don't you know don't just go out there and burn out your stand in early part of the season and then by the time the rut gets here nothing's coming through yeah no, definitely. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes I made as a hunter. Even though my dad taught me a lot about hunting, there was a lot of learn-as-you-go type of things. And so that was one thing that my dad always said, hunt the wind. But I didn't really quite understand what he meant by that. He never really explained it to me other than set here, they're coming from there, look that way type of deal. And so learning to hunt the wind was important and i try to not be a gimmick hunter and so that's i think probably why i held off so long on these ozone generators but they've been around long enough and i think fads come and they go quick and so it's been a better part of a decade i know that ozonics has been out so maybe that's time to maybe not specifically that brand but some others i know there's there's multiple now but um yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, man. The, the wind is important, and yeah. it's worth not going to versus yeah. going to blow that spot out. And I think a lot of that all starts with scouting, too. You know, you have to do early, early season scouting. Get out there, learn where the deer are coming from, because the wind's always going to be going someplace. Even if you don't feel it, there's wind. Yep. And you've got to understand where the deer are coming from because they they have to come from somewhere and you know you've got to pick what direction on a certain stand is the best wind for you yep sometimes it may may not come up the way you think it is because you never know where they're going to come from you know you right. think you do but you never do but um I, I have one stand where you know it the only time I'll ever hunt it is if the wind is blowing into this little field that, you know, sits behind me. Um, there's a field to the right, um, I've alfalfa out in front of me and woods to the left. So I, I'll take that one field behind me and let them have that spot. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I did as far as scouting, and I don't know if maybe you do this as well, but um, after season, right after season's over, Right, the that January, February. I don't know when your season goes out there in Kentucky, but for us, it's uh, typically the first Saturday in January is our last hunting day, and then uh, beyond that, it's you know there's there might be various small game seasons in, but 
just getting out and seeing what the deer were doing there in late season. Now, sometimes that is related to pressure. You know, their late season is going to be based on food, water, and pressure, right? And so it may not always be useful in the early season, but it's definitely good for that, you know, mid-November towards the end of hunting season once once more people are out in the woods, especially on public land. Um, private land, same thing, deer key in on pressure, and they know they use all their senses to, to determine where the pressure's coming from. And typically, you know, we try to pattern deer, but deer pattern us. Sure. Um, that's something that I have learned. And so you could be, you know, parking the truck where everybody else parks the truck, taking the same path into the woods, and then the deer they they key in on that they get used to it and then they're they change their pattern so that they don't have to deal with us and so it's just trying to evolve and i guess scout on the fly but without trying to burn up your spots at the same time so it's 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 fluid it's ever changing yeah yeah you may have some stands you can only hunt in the morning some you can only hunt at night yep you know it's, it's the ball game you got to play with them absolutely absolutely but i think uh i think we've had a really good two-part series here and uh kevin you've brought in a lot of useful information and i know it's stuff that's going to add value to our listeners and uh is there anything else that you were like man this is something i want to cover something that you feel like you know the, the listeners should hear and if they if they use it great is there something that you got in mind no, I think, you know, the biggest thing is just continue to learn from mistakes and continue to educate yourself. And I, I don't care if that's a new hunter or somebody that's been doing it for 80 years. You know, you owe it to the animal to go out there and, you know, be as ethical and smart about your hunt as, as you can be. So utilize those resources. Talk to people. Um, read things. Watch things. Um, just just continue to learn, man. We're all human we're all going to make mistakes but it's all what we do with those absolutely so i ask everybody this before i let them go and i'm sure you know what i'm going to ask you but if you could hunt anywhere in the world where would you go and what would you hunt see it's funny because i've been thinking about that the last couple of days knowing that this was coming and and, you know I, i can't say a young hunter but new hunter um there's so many things that i would love to do um I I really want to go down to uh, Mississippi or Texas and do a boar hunt. Okay. Um, I really I really want to go back up to New Hampshire and do a moose hunt or a black bear hunt. Oh um, yes. I, I I think those are probably my three biggest ones. Um, a coyote a, getting a coyote was on the top of my list until the other day. I connected on one the other day. Um, Perfect. I was out for deer, but I see a coyote come out, and I'll, I'll ruin a deer hunt in a minute to take out a coyote. Absolutely. Um, um, but but yeah, I, I think probably boar, moose, and black bear are my top three. That's awesome. That is awesome. I tell you what, if you want to go to Texas and do a boar hunt, you just let me know. I just got back from hunting at my buddy's uh, at Whiskey Willow Ranch, and let me tell you, my brother, um, I told him I was going to get him on here just so I could pick on him a little bit, but... (laughs) two evenings in a row he missed and uh on some free range like these were as wild as they get and uh we we had a blast though so if you ever want to go to texas you let me know i'll hook you up and we'll get down there maybe we'll even come down and uh, share camp with you but that'll be fun 
Yeah, man, that sounds great. And um, let's let's get you out here early part of next season to get you some velvet. Oh, that's going to be perfect. That'll be perfect. So, Kevin, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you because you you came with a lot of really good information and they say, hey, I want to talk to this guy a little more behind the scenes. And, and hey, what did you put in your letter? Hey, you know, how did you address landowners after they reached out to you? Or what, what's your, you know, what's your go-to? Or, or maybe there's not a go-to. But uh, if they wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way? I, I would probably say look me up on Facebook. Shoot me a message on there. KJ Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, uh, three on Facebook. So um, shoot me a message on there. I also do have a YouTube um, channel out there as well. It's Kevin Barnes, 0903-1976. All right. So on Facebook, KJ Barnes, three. Kevin, again, I really appreciate you taking the time out and talking with us, sharing some really good hunting stories, some definitely some really good lessons learned. And uh, we look forward to having you back, and I definitely look forward to sharing camp with you at some point. Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on, talk with you guys. Keep keep doing what you're doing, man. It's, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot from you, and I love every minute of it. Hey, we appreciate that. And again, to all of our listeners, we really love and appreciate all the support you do for us and give us. And uh, as always, keep hunting and keep doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com.